Jonah chapter 2 is going to be our text. I'm going to start from reading from verse, chapter 1, verse 17, and we'll go through uh, all the way to the end of chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry lands. Lord, we come before you again this morning to study your word. We see this text, and we're grateful for its historicity, for its accuracy, and for your word. We're grateful that this passage is here to demonstrate your mercy towards sinners. And Lord, I pray that as we study your text now, that you would open our hearts to your word, and we be conformed to your word, Lord. Give us attentiveness and ability to live out faithfully your word. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. One of the most controversial and simultaneously the most effective way to have the judicial system work in your favor if you are a criminal is the role of remorse. Oftentimes, people have been in jail, that people have been in jail for a while uh, can use this tactic as a way to shorten their sentence or to appeal for early release. The problem with this, according to legal scholars, is that there's no genuine way for us to truly tell if someone is truly remorseful. Two people can be charged with the same crime. Two people can have the same sentencing. Both can even claim that they are remorse. But the outcome can be different based on how a person presents this remorsefulness. If one is remorseful and he's seen weeping and pleading, it increases the chance of him to be let go early or have a shorter sentence. Whereas a person who claims to be remorseful and is cold and stoic, his chances are decreased. And in both situations, no one can know fully if a person's heart has changed. No one can truly know if a person is genuinely sorrowful 
remorseful or truly regret what they have done. And the Bible speaks of these two types of remorse. There's a genuine remorse that leads to life and a false type of remorse that leads to death. And yet in these two, it is plainly obvious to the Lord. It may be a mystery to us, but in the eyes of the Lord, he knows exactly where we are. There could be a person who, who's confronted with sin and he is broken over his sin. He realizes that his sin is offense to the Lord and he truly repents. We get an example of that in the life of David. In Psalm 51, David says that he, he, he's his, sin is, his sin is ever before him and that he committed these things. But he knows that all of his sin is, is before the Lord. That he sinned against the Lord and against the Lord alone. And there's another kind of person who when they are confronted with their sin, on the surface may seem broken over their sin, but in their hearts have not truly repented. We see this in the life of Judas. Judas is someone who knew Jesus. He lived with Jesus for three years. And when he sold Jesus for pieces of silver, he became remorseful. But instead of looking to Christ, instead of repenting and turning from his sin, he took the actions into his own hands and ended his own life. Genuine repentance, genuine remorse leads to life while false, false repentance and false remorse leads to death. And when we get to this passage, we see a, a glimpse of Jonah's life, and he has truly repented. He's, he realizes his own sin, and he is remorseful over it. By way of review, I like to kind of go over what we went through in chapter 1. In chapter 1, God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh. And if you recall two months ago, we talked about how Nineveh was not a place that they were not at their peak. Nineveh was an enemy of the Israelites, but they, uh, because of famine, because of plague, and because of civil war, they, are, they were not at their best. They were, they were essentially not a threat to the Israelites. So yet it's because of their broken spirit that they were ready spiritually to receive salvation. So God, in his mercy, sends Jonah to go and declare a message of salvation to the people of Nineveh. And you recall what Jonah did. He fled to Tarshish. He bought a one-way ticket to Tarshish. He got on a boat and it went to Tarshish. And the Lord hurled a great storm towards that boat. He hurled a great storm and the ship began to fall apart. And everyone in the boat began to panic. They did not know what was going on. The storm was unique to them, and they were all crying out to their gods. They were all crying out to all their false gods, and there was zero answer. But when the captain, when he, he went down to the bottom of the ship to see what else that they could throw out, what else that they can make the boat lighter, he noticed that Jonah was down there sleeping. And Jonah, uh, and the captain looked at Jonah and, 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 and pretty much asked him, get up. You like go and maybe pray to your God. Maybe your God can save us. Of course, the irony is that it is true that it is Jonah's God that can save them. And each of the sailors eventually they realized nothing was working, so they began to cast lots. They began to cast lots, and the lot landed on Jonah. It revealed to them that Jonah was the one that sinned against his God, and it's it his God, the one that's causing the storm. So they asked them, they asked them who he was, they asked them where he came from, what did he do, 
And Jonah's response was this in chapter 1, verse 9. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this horrified all the people, all the sailors in the boats, because he realized that this God, the one that Jonah worshipped, is the one that is causing this storm. And they asked him, what are we supposed to do? What do we need to do so that we can live? How can we make the storm stop? And you recall Jonah's response. Jonah's response was that you need to throw me over the boat. And that scared all of the sailors because they realized if this God is one that can control all of the storm, control the seas, if we threw him overboard, there will be a greater consequence of us. How do we know that God will not judge us for this action? So all the sailors decided to, to, to desperately try to row back to land, and they were unable to do so. And it was then that they pleaded to Yahweh. They went to, they, they cried out to Yahweh and said, Lord, may this person's blood not be in our hands. Because, again, they were afraid of what might happen if they killed one of Yahweh's people. And they cried desperately, and they threw Jonah overboard. And the moment that, they hit, that Jonah hit the waters, the storm stopped. And they became fearful, and they began to offer sacrifices to Yahweh. Again, we see God's mercy shown to the people on the boat. These people were pagan worshipers, and God used this event to show them that he is the one true God. But not only did God show mercy to the Ninevites by sending Jonah or even to the sailors on the boat, but God showed mercy to the one that was disobeying him by sending a great fish to swallow Jonah, to preserve him. And this is where we pick up this morning. We pick up in chapter 2, where Jonah is now in the belly of the fish. And as we walk through this text, we will see a person that's broken over his sin, and he cries out to God for help. And perhaps you may wonder whether or not repentance is genuine. Maybe your own life. When you look back in your own life, you can ask yourself, how do I know if my repentance is genuine? How do I know that my repentance will lead me to life? What assurance do I have that my repentance is true and not the one that leads to death? Because it is a horrible thing for us to think that we've repented in this life only to be in front of God and he looks at us and says, depart from me for I never knew you. And this is a a serious topic that we need to consider. How do we know if our repentance is true? Here are three markers that we're going to look at this morning. Three markers to know that our repentance will lead to life. The first is that we acknowledge our sin to God. Second, we look to our God. And lastly, we worship our God. If you want to know if your repentance is genuine, you first need to acknowledge our sin before God. Verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. The chapter begins with Jonah making a prayer inside this fish. And this portion of the scripture seems absurd and hilarious to those who are not Christians. Yet we forget that God has done way more miracles in the past. 
if you look at your own Bible, if you look at how many pages we've gone, God has done a tremendous amount of miracles in the past. And there aren't that much new of the Old Testament left. Jonah is one of the last books of the Old Testament. And we've seen hundreds of, of miracles that's done by God. So to be ashamed of this is to be ashamed of God's power. As Christians, we must never shy away from this text or from any text of Scripture. But this text in particular shows us the power of God. This narrative shows us God's power and to dismiss this as history and to call it fantasy or fiction or allegory or mythology is to dismiss the power of our God. Again, to put this into perspective, this miracle is nothing. When you look at Genesis, God spoke all things into existence. That is way more powerful than keeping a man alive in a fish for three days. God caused the Egyptian to experience his wrath through controlling the natures all around them. You recall in the Exodus that one point the Egyptians was all dark. It was pitch black except for where the Israelites were at. That is more powerful than keeping a man alive in a fish for three days. And in the New Testament, we see the chief of all miracles. That Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave conquering death. That is way more powerful than keeping a man alive in a fish for three days. God kept Jonah alive in this fish and Jonah begins to pray. Jonah probably wondered what is going on since he's not in the presence of the Lord. He had good theology. He knew who God was. And when he was thrown overboard, he was confused. Why isn't he before the Lord? Jonah was over. Jonah was thrown overboard and he had no idea where he was at. And there was probably a moment when Jonah was in the water that he felt the pains of drowning, or at minimum, the fears of drowning. And when Jonah wanted to, to be thrown overboard, what he wanted was death. He had no idea that, this was go- that he was going to live. He may have known, he, must, he may not have even known at the time that he was swallowed by a fish. All he knew that he was in this confined space and it was dark. But at some point, he realized that he isn't dead. He realized that he is alive. He begins to cry out and pray to God because he knows that the only reason why he is alive is because of God. God is keeping him alive miraculously. And there is some irony in that. When Jonah first went to Tarshish, he had no problem with abandoning God. But only when he is close to death that he begins to feel the sorrows of being separated from God. There have been studies on people that have been in solitary confinement. And one of the things that happens to those that are in solitary confinement is that they lose track of time. They don't know if if it's only been five minutes. They don't know if it's been five hours. They don't know if it's five days or five weeks or five months or five years. When you're in solitary confinement, it messes with your perception of time and which leads people to become depressed. And I believe this is what Jonah was going through. He had no idea that he was in there for three days tops. He was in there, but he did not know how long he was going to be in there. And you'll notice that Jonah describes the situation as being in the stomach of the fish in verse 1, and that is where he is at physically. But in verse 2, Jonah states that he is crying from the depths of Sheol, 
which is another word, idea for, for the nether realm, for death, or even feeling separated from God. And it's because of that, Jonah's under great emotional stress. He cries out to God. Verse 3, For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. Notice that Jonah said that it was God who casted him into the sea. And you recall, as we went through the review in chapter 1, that it was the sailors that threw him over the sea. But Jonah understood that God used these sailors to punish him. Jonah understands that God used these sailors to get his attention. God used the sailors as a way to get Jonah's attention, and he knew that the only way for Jonah to receive this message is to be thrown into the sea. This word cast is used 112 times in the entire Old Testament, and it is used to describe something that's quickly thrown over. In 2 Kings 13.21, there was a group of people that casted a dead body into a cave, and that body rolled and touched the bones of Elijah, and that person that was dead came back to life. This is the idea of quickly being thrown into a certain location. These sailors, when they, when they, when they came to the grips of the fact that they need to throw Jonah overboard, they threw him quickly overboard. It wasn't like they lowered him into the water, but they threw him quickly into the sea. And the, the moment that Jonah hit the water, there must have been some time before the fish came to save Jonah. Notice at the end of verse 3, he said that the current engulfed him and the, break, and, and the breakers and billows passed over him. And there was no way for Jonah to escape. Jonah was, not, Jonah was not dumped into a shallow part of the sea. Rather, he was thrown into the deep waters. And he thought that he was drowned. He felt the, the freezing water smash onto him, the piercing cold shaking his bones. It's implied that he either couldn't swim anymore or that he couldn't swim to begin with. So he sank. And he knew that being in the water was his own doing. All that happened to him was completely just. He took responsibility for his own sin. And his current situation in the current of the sea was his own fault. Jonah acknowledged his own sin. All that he was experiencing is the disciplining hand of God. Jonah does not blame God for what happened, but he owns it. Part of genuine repentance is that you acknowledge your sin before the Lord. You acknowledge that your sin is before him, and the consequence of your sin is also on you. True repentance does not blame shift. Oftentimes, people that fall into sin will repent, but they will also wish that the consequences of their sin will just go away. And perhaps this is you this morning. You might have committed a sin in your life, and you've, and you've asked God to forgive you, and he indeed did forgive you, but you also want the, the lasting effect in this life to go away. True repentance is not expecting God to remove the consequences but to trust the Lord and to continue to walk faithfully with him no matter how bad your life may be because of your own sin. You can't make excuses to God about your own sin. Jonah here is speaking of the type of pain that he is in. He knows for a fact this was all on him. Jonah doesn't blame God for his suffering, but humbly acknowledge that the temporal pain that he is feeling it's just a warning of what would happen if he died without his Savior. 
wisdom then tells us that we should discipline our lives from sin before God discipline our life for our sin. Fighting sin can be hard, but it's better to suffer the, the pains of resisting sin than to suffer the pains of embracing sin. Other times you will fall into sin and there will be consequences that, will have, that, that will, you have to carry with you for the rest of your life. Sadly, that is, there are things that you just can't recover in this life. But God is still good, even though the, the, the ramifications of your sin is still present in your life. Genuine repentance does not make excuses for sin, and genuine, genuine repentance also accepts the temporal consequences of sin in this life. Not only is genuine repentance shown through accepting our sin and acknowledging our sin before the Lord, but we know that we've genuinely repented by our next point, and when we look to God, the second marker that our, genu- our repentance is genuine is when we look to our God. Verse 4. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Notice that he uses the word expelled, which means to divide. This idea that in life there are really two camps. And it's divided between those who are obedient to the Lord and those who are disobedient to the Lord. For those who are obedient to God, they are experiencing a close communion with God, while those who are disobedient are being casted out from God. Jonah, knowing that he disobeyed God, thought he was completely separated from the sight of God. Now we know in Scripture that you can never uh, be taken away from the hands of God. We know that objectively no one can escape the watchful eye of God. But what Jonah is getting at is that he no longer, in this sin, feels close to God. He no longer feels like he's in favor with the Lord. Jonah realizes what a dire thing it is to be apart from the presence of God. I wonder if you see your own sin in this way. That every sin that you commit damages your relationship with the Heavenly Father. Not that God has somehow casted you out or removed you, but when the moment you sin, you are moving further and further away from God. Ever notice that when you or someone that you know fall into sin, that the means of grace is no longer appealing? And by means of grace, I mean things like prayer, Bible reading, and fellowshipping with those in the church. These are all means to grow in Christ-likeness and to draw closer to God. How easy it is for us not to go to the Lord in prayer when we are indulging in sin. How hard it is for us to be saturated and impacted by God's word when we are cherishing, cherishing sin in our lives. And how swift it is for us to flee the fellowship with our brothers and sisters out of the fear that we will be confronted about our sin. The means of grace are a way for us to be drawn closer to God. And when we sin, we forsake the fellowship with God for something infinitely less. But notice how he, how he responds after, after sin. It says that he looks again towards God's holy temple. Even though Jonah was in the sea that is filled with darkness, his response is to look up to God and his holy temple. Verse 5. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth 
with his bars was around me forever. Jonah speaks of how great of a peril that he is in. He describes this uh, to enhance the magnitude of his present situation as well as magnify the saving work of God. By highlighting how great of a problem he is in, he highlights the greatness of God. The the waters raged against him, and he thought that he was going to lose his life. The weeds wrapped around his head, so he was losing his breath. He was sinking lower and lower, and he was brought to the lowest point physically. But for him, he needed to go down physically low to have his spiritually so his spiritual life rise up. He was brought down to the lowest point physically for him to rise up spiritually. You notice in verse 6, this word descended. It means to go down. This word is actually the fourth time that it showed up in this book. The first three times was shown in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 3, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's described going down to Joppa and then going down to buy a, a ticket to go to Tarshish. And then in chapter 1 verse 5, he's seen going down to the bottom of the boat to sleep. And how fitting it is for him then to be brought down by God for him to see his own sin. It's during this time of great uh, pain and and a great understanding of of the condition that he was in that he appreciated God's mercy towards him. Jonah felt as though he's in the land of no return. He must have pondered what awaits him except for death. But notice at the end of verse 6, but you have brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. It is God that brought him back from the pit. God provided a miracle for him to escape. God provided a way for him to escape the consequences of his sin. Jonah looked to God, and we we realized that he sinned against God. The Lord delivered him. So it is for us who do not know Christ today. Because of the sinful lifestyle that we've accumulated, we do not understand or know God's grace. But when we understand our own sin, we will truly appreciate God for who he is. If you are someone that has failed and sinned against God, God is more than willing to redeem you and provide a way to escape For your sins. God will not only give you a way out on on this life, but he'll also provide a a way to escape the consequences of sin in the next life. Verse 7. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And although Jonah was fainting away below the sea, he was looking up to God in his temple. He fixed his eyes onto the one that can deliver him. He looked to God in a way that he never looked at him before. There is a renewed devotion to the Lord that he understands now that he has fallen far from God. In some ways, you can see Jonah as the Old Testament version of the prodigal son. He was someone that God commanded to do something, but he chose to rebel. He chose to flee from God. But now he is faithful to the Lord. He at one point rejected God's command, but now he is repentant. And whenever we fall into sin, the real solution is not necessarily stopping the sin. That's actually the second step. The first step for us is that we need to look to Christ. A person who falls into sin can on the surface, quote unquote, repent or stop sinning. 
but it means absolutely nothing if you do not look to God. Not truly following God, but just want to, uh, but you don't, just don't want your sin to be exposed. As Christians, we must look to God first before we repent. Because if you don't look to God, you will inevitably fall back into sin. And that's not to say that if you fall into sin another time, the same type of sin, that you are not genuinely, genuinely repentant the first time. But one way to, to guard your heart from sin again is to look to Christ, is to continue to fix your gaze onto the Lord. It is the greatness of being with God in heaven that will compel us to fight sin on earth. People fall into sin because their eyes are fixed on the faulty pleasures of sin. You remember in the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve were tempted by the fruit from the knowledge of good and evil because of how beautiful it seemed to look. That they, that they broke their relationship with God because they saw that that fruit was beautiful to the eyes. They failed in that moment to see that God is more beautiful than everything that this world has to offer. The way to fight sin is not just by resisting or fleeting from sin, because on the surface, even non-Christians can do this. Even non-Christians on the surface can do what's seemingly right before the Lord. So we need to ask God for the grace to have, to have the Lord be more attractive to us. The beauty of Christ must outshine the darkness of sin. And we must look to Christ because in Christ, in him, there is no darkness. Genuine repentance causes us to look to Christ and to delight in him. Not only is a genuine marker of repentance is to acknowledge our sin before the Lord or to, or, to, or to look to Christ or to look to our God, but lastly, a genuine marker of repentance is that we worship our God. Our last point this morning is that we worship our God. Verse 8. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Jonah now has learned the greatest lesson through his downfall with sin. Jonah states that those who place their faith in idols forsake and forfeit God's faithfulness. This word faithfulness, it means has said. It's loving kindness or steadfast love. I prefer the, the translation or the, the way to describe it is covenant love. Another way to translate this verse is this. Those who serve vanities of worthless idols forsake their covenant love. The idea being that those who are, are devoted to worthless idols, they forsake the covenant love that God has shown them. All of us as humans are made to worship. That's the way the Lord has designed us. We're all made to worship something. And because of sin, it distorts our affections. It distorts our worship. We begin to worship the things of this earth more than the God that created this earth. In our corrupted and fallen nature, we're drawn to things below, which, which lead us not only to the grave, but down to hell. But by God's grace, we can worship the God of heaven and earth and under the earth. Sin makes us worship the things in this world instead of the one that is worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship. Notice the beginning of verse 9. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. 
Jonah makes this contrast with those who have given their lives to worthless idols and himself now. That at one point he himself cherished worthless idols, but now he is faithful to the Lord. Jonah is completely aware of his debt to God's mercy and wants to devote his life in worshiping God. Jonah promises to sing a song of thanksgiving to God. This is why what we sing to the Lord every Sunday and Friday is because we want to, out of a thankful heart, sing praises to him for all that he's done for us. Jonah's song will not only just be singing, but it's accompanied by tangible expressions of thanksgiving through offering sacrifices. And one important thing to know about this section is that Jonah's worship of Yahweh came, it was a complete confidence of the Lord's faithfulness and deliverance. He was not retroactively praying this prayer of deliverance because God has delivered him. No, rather, when he was in the fish, he knew that he would be delivered. He had absolute assurance that in this turmoil that God will deliver him from this. Jonah worshipped the God of comfort and he found security in the God that he worships. Jonah thanks God before he was even delivered. You'll notice that Jonah said he will offer sacrifices to God. Jonah is showing gratitude. Jonah said that he will declare publicly of God's mercy to him. And Jonah learns from his mistakes and he worships God. He learned that the idols in his own heart led him to momentarily forsaking God's loving kindness. And God's deliverance creates an obligation to worship him. It was the end of verse 9, that salvation is from the Lord. Jonah ends this prayer by declaring the truth that God wants him to declare to the Ninevites, that salvation is from the Lord. Jonah needed to be reminded of God, the God that he worshipped, before he can call an entire nation to worship Yahweh. Jonah experienced the mercy of God, and it gives him the strength now to go and speak of God's mercy. What is interesting about Jonah and a lot of the other prophets in the Old Testament is that they never, a lot of them did not experience salvation from the Lord in this life. A lot of the prophets did not experience some sort of miraculous deliverance from the Lord. And if you think about it, this is really the first time in Jonah's life where he has has the experiential knowledge of being rescued by God. He was not during the, he was not there during the time of the Exodus. Only he probably heard it, he probably read it, he even taught it. But he does not know what it's like to see God in action. He doesn't know what it's like to experience God's mercy. But in this moment, he experiences God's supernatural work in salvation. Again, Jonah was not in Egypt. He didn't know what it was like to be under Egyptian oppression. He was not treated harshly. He didn't know what it was like to cry out to God for deliverance until now. And after this episode in his life, Jonah knows what it's like to be saved by God, and it compels him to worship him. And so it is with us. We may think that we have not experienced the mercy of God, but if you consider that every time we fall into sin, and are spared from the wrath of God, that that itself is a miracle. Because that itself is a divine mercy. Every time we sin, we must remember that we are still alive because our sin caused 
the death of Christ. We don't experience God's wrath because God himself experienced it for us. Our sin costed him his life. And when we sin and we recognize it, it's a revelation to us. But in actuality, God has already known about these sins, and he's already paid for them. So we are really just catching up to what God already knows of us, and yet he still died for us. Marker of genuine repentance is that you worship God, that you devote your life to God, that you devote your love and affections to Christ and to Christ alone. When you fall into sin, does it make you realize how gross and expensive sin is? If you know the cost and you know what, was, what, had to be, what had to take place so that you could be made right with him, you will worship him. The war against sin is on the battlefield of worship. Whoever or whatever you worship will win the war for your heart. If you worship sexual sin, you cannot worship God. If you worship money, you cannot worship God. If you worship your career, you cannot worship God. If you worship your own children, you cannot worship God. If you worship comfort or entertainment, you cannot worship God. You cannot serve two masters. You are a slave to what you worship. And to the moment that it clicks for Jonah, he gets delivered by the Lord. And as we look back, genuine repentance is shown by three ways. It's shown in our acknowledge of sin before God. It's shown in our, in our, in when we look to God. And lastly, when we worship God. And if you have these things, these things will lead to life. But if you don't show any of these things, then there's a chance that your repentance is false. And as I said earlier, it is better that you acknowledge that now before you die and stand before the Lord and he casts you out when he tells you, depart from me for I never knew you. You'll have an eternity of regret wishing that you were broken over your sin genuinely in this life. So for those of us here today, evaluate your own heart to see whether or not your repentance of sin is genuine. That you want to make sure that your sin is, uh, is, is turned away and that you love God more than your own sin. So notice that Jonah, when he understood these principles, that the Lord delivered him. When Jonah understood genuine repentance, he was delivered and he received life. Verse 10, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up into dry land. Jonah is vomited out. It must have been a surprise for him because at this point, now he realizes definitively that he was in the fish. He did not know that when he was in the water. He might have speculated it, but for sure now when he's vomited into the land, he looks back and he sees a fish there. And he realizes the miracle of God. Imagine if you were Jonah, what a humbling experience that is, that you were saved by a fish. And this is the second time that the fish submits to God's command. And Jonah expands, uh, he, he experiences a miracle that's taken place. But there will be a greater miracle that Jonah will experience. There will be a greater miracle in the next chapter when he sees an entire nation turn from their sin. In this life, you will never experience and see a greater miracle than when someone turns to Christ. 
But you'll never see a greater miracle than someone that has rejected Christ to receiving Christ. You'll never see a greater miracle than a person from being spiritually dead to, spiritually, to spiritual life. And you can use all the scientific methods to explain away how a man survived a fish for three days. But you cannot explain why a holy God will spare wicked sinners. What is difficult to explain is not how a man is in a great fish, but how God will demonstrate his love towards us to a people that have sinned greatly and openly before God. What is a greater miracle than a man surviving being in a fish for three days is that God will turn from people that were his enemies to become his children. God's love towards us by ascending his son and dying on the cross and then coming back to life three days later for us is a greater miracle than Jonah being in a fish for three days. Jesus used this event, and it's supposed to be a sign for the Pharisee who wanted a sign in Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees demanded a sign from Jesus. They said, show us that you are really the Messiah. Show us a sign. And perhaps as some of you here today, you are saying, I will only believe in Jesus if I see a sign. And I will tell you to look at this text because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said that you look to the sign of Jonah. Jesus speaks more than just the fact that he will be buried and rise again three days later. But it's more than that because of what it means, what all of that signify. The greatest way God has shown mercy is reconciling sinners to himself. The audience that Jesus spoke to, the Pharisees, and for people like us today, when we compare these two narratives, is that when we compare Jonah in the fish for three days and God, because the son being in the tomb for three days, is that we see God's mercy shown in both. This Jonah narrative is the prototype of what Christ has done. It's what Christ will do. It is a story of a lesser to the greater. If you think God's mercy to Jonah and to Nineveh is great, there is a greater salvation. There's a greater mercy that is shown. And that is that God has paved the way for the entire world to be reconciled to him. Friend, if you do not know Jesus today, God has shown a tremendous amount of mercy to you. You either experience God's mercy in this life alone or you experience God's mercy Fully, not just in this life, but in eternity. And will you experience God's mercy fully by repenting and placing your faith, trust, and love in Jesus? Because when you do, when you turn from your sin, you place your faith in Christ, you will be like Jonah at the end of verse 9, where he'll say, salvation is from the Lord. And I would encourage you who are believers here today to look back on your own life See if you genuinely are repentant. And if you're not, if, you have, if there's some sort of idol in your life that you love more than Christ, understand that Jonah described these things as vain idols, that they, will, that they will perish. Don't give up your salvation with Christ for something that is so foolish. Repent. Repent and embrace God's mercy. And for you today who do not know Jesus, who have not placed your faith in Christ, understand that God's mercy will cease at a point and you will experience what Jonah experienced, this, this darkness, this type of pain that we, the Bible describes us as hell. And then unlike Jonah, when you are in hell, there's no way of deliverance. 
You have the opportunity now today to turn from your sin. And I hope that you would consider where you stand before the Lord. That you would turn from your sin and place your faith in him and love Jesus for what he has done for you. And may the gospel be a driving force in our lives to live faithfully to him and go and declare God's mercy to the loved ones in our lives. Let us pray. Lord, we marvel at how merciful you are to us. We do not deserve an ounce of mercy, an ounce of grace, an ounce of your love or any of your attributes. We're grateful that, you've, that you and your sovereign plan has looked to us before the foundation of the world and redeemed a people for you. But Lord, I also pray for those who do not know you, that you can use this message to soften their hearts, to make them consider eternity, and that they will turn from their sin today and place it in you. Lord, be with us as we study your word, that we don't just be people that just want to study for the sake of studying, but that we know you more, cause us to love and fight sin. Lord, be with us this week as we live about our lives, that we can become lights to those in this world. That we declare your mercy uh, to all that are in our lives. Pray these things for your son's name. Amen.